me wish you a, a Merry Christmas. It does seem a bit early to be saying that now, but you can't really get away from it. Christmas music is in every shop. Uh, people have started wearing those ugly jumpers, which is a trend I, I don't get. Uh, and I'm being asked if I want my coffee to taste of gingerbread. Uh, and But whilst I, I do love the, the excitement that this time of year brings, often the, the ideas that we hear around Christmas are kind of like the milk on my gingerbread latte. They are sweet, but light and frothy, and lacking any real substance. And so my aim then, this evening, is to show you that the truth of the Christmas message that we read of in the Bible is not like that at all. In fact, it is one of the most profound and radical truths in all human history. And just as I begin then, I wonder if I can do a little thought experiment with you. I want you all to imagine that somehow uh, you've all been drugged, And you've just woken up right now in this room here where we're having our carol service. Your entire memory has been wiped. And for some reason, the the room is closed off. So the doors at the back are locked and there's no way out. The windows have all been blacked out so you cannot see what is outside. So all of us are trapped here with no knowledge of how we got here and what's on the outside. It's a pretty scary prospect to think of. But we would start asking questions in that situation, wouldn't we? We would start asking, who are we? Why are we here? Can we, can we leave the room? We'd start to, to speculate, is there anything outside of this room? And, and what, what would life be like outside this room? Perhaps we might look at something like this Christmas tree here and think, well, maybe there's loads of these big green things outside the room. Or we might look at these lights and think, well, maybe uh, there's hundreds of these bright, colorful lights outside of this room. Or we might think, well, there's nothing outside the room here. Because the only reality is the one that we can taste and see and touch here in this room. But at the end of the day, all those ideas that we might come up with would be nothing but speculation. The best way that we could be sure, that we could be certain of what's true, would be if someone from the outside came in. If someone opened those doors and walked in and told us exactly what had happened, told us not to worry, you've just been drugged for an illustration for a carol service. And that may sound like the plot to a cool science fiction film, but I want to say that this evening, when it comes to the questions that we ask about life, about death, about the purpose of our existence, questions that we saw in that that wonderful video at the start, when it comes to those questions, and more importantly, questions about God and who he is, we are like the people trapped in this room. We don't really know, do we? We, we? we can come up with ideas, but it's all speculation. Even if we just think about the people in this room, there's probably about uh, 300 people here tonight. If we were to go around and find out what, what do you think God should be like, who do you think God is, we would get a whole range of different answers. And the answers that we would give here would be very different to answers that people in different parts of the world would give because we are shaped by so many different external influences. Even if we were to say tonight that we believe there is no God, that itself is not really a provable position, but it's speculation. It would all just be speculation. So how do we know who is right? At the end of the day, the only way that we could be certain would be if someone from the outside came in. 
If God himself were to break through the doors of human history to show us what's true. Well, in that passage that B read to us from John's gospel, that is exactly what John says happened at the arrival of Jesus Christ. You know, at the end of that reading, John said this. It's not very controversial. He said this, no one has ever seen God. That's true, isn't it? We've not seen God. Any idea that we may have of him is just speculation. But, says John, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The outsider has come in. But how did he do that? Well, I want to show you how he did it and why it matters, just from one verse that we had read to us. Let me put it up behind me on the slide. This is what John says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so just for the remainder of our time, I want to break apart this astonishing and outrageous claim that John makes about why we celebrate Christmas. Firstly, notice that the term that Jesus uses, uh, that John, sorry, uses to describe Jesus. He calls him the Word. It's a very unusual term. He, he begins his gospel, we heard it in the reading there, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, why does he call Jesus the Word? Well, a person's word is the clearest and ultimate revelation of who they are. So you could look at me and you could uh, perhaps infer some truths about me. You might see me throughout the week with some uh, obscure band t-shirt and rightly infer that I'm a big fan of heavy metal music. Uh, Or you could chat to people that I know to find out what I'm like as a person. You could go onto my Facebook page uh, and you'd see that I'm married You'd also notice where my football allegiances lie, uh, as the picture that you would see would be me celebrating a certain team's historic cup victory earlier this year. Uh, But you could only really know me. The only way you could really know me would be if I spoke to you through words. And if a person has never spoken to you, you don't really feel that you know him. So when John calls Jesus the Word of God, He is saying that Jesus is the communication of God. Jesus is the self-expression of who God is. He is God's ultimate revelation to the world. And therefore, the implication is that you cannot really know the truth about God except through Jesus. It doesn't mean that you can't know anything about God. You could look at God's creation. You could go out tonight and gaze up and see the stars if you can see them, and you would see that God is wonderful and majestic and creative, but you cannot really know Him unless you listen to His words. Knowing God, knowing truth, it cannot come from inside of us. It has to come from the outside. It has to come from Him. See, neither rationalism nor mysticism will work. That's generally the two ways we we try and relate to God and try and understand who God is, through rationalism or mysticism. But that will not work because it would always be shaped by our own personal bias. We need the external word. But here's the thing. How do we know? How do we know that this word is true? 
because many religions, well, all religions, I guess, will claim to have had some sort of communication from God. Well, this is what's radical about Christianity. This is what's radical about Christmas. The communication of God to the world came not as an idea or an argument or a philosophy that was revealed to some individual, but it came in time and space as a person. Look at what John says there. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, this would have been so shocking to John's original readers. Do you see what he's saying here? The Word who was with God and who was God, that is the the great Creator who formed the, the galaxies and the nebulas, the one who upholds every single atom in the universe, this great, almighty, powerful God became flesh flesh. It's a, it's a deliberately provocative, debasing word that John uses. The great divine eternal word becomes flesh. He becomes human. He becomes a baby. Is there anything more fragile than a newborn baby? God becoming human is like me becoming a, an ant. It's humiliating. And when he did arrive, we all know the nativity story, It was not to a palace that he came, but to a stable. It was not to riches, but to abject poverty. Christmas is when God came down to the absolute lowest point. And even in that, we see something of what this God is like. Overwhelming humility. He is not ashamed of the lowliness of human beings. He marches right in as one of us, born in poverty and dying in disgrace. And that means, it's an incredible statement, that means that God has been where we have been. God has felt what we have felt. He has suffered what we have suffered. This is God becoming vulnerable. This is God becoming killable. A God who bleeds. That's what it means to say that the Word became flesh. He was among us as one of us. In other words, in Jesus, we see God not just in Word, but we see God in action. He talks the talk and He walks the walk. People saw Him. John, look at what He's saying. He dwelt among us. John lived with Him. For three years, he ate with him. He spoke to him face to face. He learned from him. You know, the the famous atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell was asked what he would say to God if he met him after he died. And he replied saying this, I would say, sir, why did you go to such lengths to hide yourself? But in light of what John is saying here, that statement holds no weight. That statement seems ridiculous because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is God being crystal clear to the world. He doesn't give us arguments. He gives us a person. And what did John see when John looked and when John saw God in the flesh? What did he see? What was revealed to him that he wants to tell the world? he tells us here it was glory. Glory. 
We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And notice there that He doesn't say, I saw His glory. He says, we, because this wasn't private. This was witnessed by many. We saw the glory of God in Jesus. In other words, we saw God's divine beauty. We saw God's majesty. And what did it look like? It was full of grace and full of truth, full of of grace, of God's mercy, of God's undeserved favor, of God's love, of God's forgiveness. That's what he saw in Jesus. He's full of, of truth, truth about why we are here, truth about what we need, truth about who, the, who this God who made us is. Nothing that was remotely false or, or fake or lacking. Truth in abundance is what he saw in Jesus Christ. And there is nothing that humanity needs more. Nothing that humanity needs more. We're reminded of it when we see those end-of-year reviews. There is nothing we need more than grace and truth, and there is only one place to find it, and that's in the Word made flesh. Now, what are we to make of this? Some of you may feel, well, if right now, okay, if right now, if I saw God in the flesh, then I would believe. Let me just, in response to that, say that there were plenty of people at the time of Jesus who saw him, who even saw some of the most amazing things that he did to show to the world that he was indeed the Word of God, but who rejected him. John said in that passage, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So seeing him didn't convince everyone. And here's the thing. Jesus does not need to come again to make God known to bring us truth and grace because he's already done it. And he chose people like John to be his witnesses throughout the world. And that witness was so effective that here we are, 2,000 years later, thousands and thousands of miles away from where this happened, celebrating the fact that the Word became flesh. So if you really want to encounter Jesus, well, read John's gospel. John, he wrote it for skeptics. He's got another 20 chapters in which he wants to show you the evidence for this claim. He wants to convince you clearly, because if God has really spoken to the world in such a clear manner, then to reject that would be the worst possible thing. To reject the grace that we need and the truth that is proclaimed will have devastating eternal consequences, no matter how good we think we are. But to receive this, to receive this is the most incredible thing. To be brought out of the darkness and into the light. When Jesus comes to to help us to, to know God, it's not just the mere imparting of information He wants us to know God in an intimate, personal way. He comes to fix us, to restore us, to bring us back to our maker as his children. In that reading, John tells us, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That is what Jesus offers at Christmas time. God wants to know you and for you to know him like a child knows his father. C.S. Lewis said, the Son of God became man to enable men to become sons of God. 
Or as Wesley says in his famous carol that we'll sing, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. God is there and he is not silent. We don't have to try and speculate. He has done all the hard work himself in sending Jesus. The outsider has come in. And with Jesus comes the grace and the truth that we desperately need, not to make us nice, but to make us new.